As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, everybody, to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. With me today to discuss the USMNT's emphatic win over Martinique in the Gold Cup group stage is the new president of the James Sands Fan Club. It's Joe Lowry. (laughs) Hi, Joe. Congrats on the new gig. It's an honor, and I mean that completely seriously. Um, I would like to thank my mom and thank everybody else who got me to this position Uh, onward, James Sands, and onward, the U.S. Men's National Team. Is Is that an appropriate speech for this role? I mean, I think so. uh, you normally don't want that to end in a question mark if you're trying to give the political <laughs> right, stump right. speech. It's more of an onward than onward. But I think aside onward. from that, yeah, there it is. There, there we go. Perfect. The <laughs> so we thought James Sands might start this game. We had an inkling. We're going to talk about the U.S.'s lineup formation, the way this game played out, all that good stuff in just a moment. But first, Joe, I want to talk about Martinique for a moment uh, because... Martinique, I think the the way this game has been discussed uh, after the fact at full time, we went back to the studio and the immediate conversation was, of course, well, it's just Martinique. And at that point, I turned off the studio, which is what you should probably do. Uh, and I think that is a fair point to make because there has been a lot of hyperbole about this team before this game, but obviously uh, during this game and after as well, uh, this U.S. performance, this U.S. result. And I think we do have to put it in a little bit of context. I want to do that up front so we don't uh, sort of keep having to go back to that. Like, But again, it's just Martinique. We're not sure. I could see us repeating that like 40 times, Joe, and I don't really yeah. want to do that in this one. I'm with you. And it is important to note this, and that's why we're doing it at the beginning, because 
Greg Berhalter had this quote after the game, and I think it is fitting. He said, we're not jumping to conclusions on anyone based on tonight. And that mm. is, that's an appropriate outlook. That's a nice, even-keeled kind of outlook. But that's not to say we can't talk about what players did well and what they didn't do so well, even though it's not the strongest of opposition. This is a good result for the United States. It was a fun group of players that we saw out there. So we still should talk about this. But yeah, I mean, Martinique, not the strongest CONCACAF no. opponent by any stretch. I mean, you could see just how much weaker they were than Haiti. They are the worst team in this group. Canada beat them 4-1 in their first game. The U.S. beat them 6-1. Haiti, I think, will will beat them maybe not quite by that margin, but something similar, I would imagine. So, mm. yes, Martinique, not the strongest team, but the U.S. still playing well in this game. And if you, like me, tried to find out what their FIFA ranking was as Aha, a way to introduce this topic, uh, <laughs> it might have taken you a little bit of time to realize that they are not a member of FIFA. They are an overseas department of France. Uh, their players remain eligible to play for the French national team if things take a certain uh, turn. Otherwise, they're playing for Martinique. They are in uh, CONCACAF, though, obviously a member there. In the CONCACAF ranking system, they are currently 11th. They're ahead of Curaçao, Trinidad, and Tobago, and Cuba. They have five players in this squad playing outside of Martinique, two defenders, three attackers. But the thing that I think is is worth noting is that against Canada, they take the lead early. Then they concede three before half. Canada sort of blitz them, uh, catch them, and punish them accordingly. Uh, Romario uh, Barthelery? Barthelery? Sure. Rams of Celery, I'm guessing. <laughs> uh, started at right back in... Roughly a 4-4-2 for them against uh, Canada, was directly at fault for at least two of those first three goals, was pulled out at halftime, uh, Camille comes on, and the team shifted to that 5-4-1 that we saw pretty frequently against the United States. And so for me, that's a team making adjustments, figuring things out in that first group stage game. They only concede uh, one in the second half, which I think is a positive. And so heading into this game... They have some answers to some questions. They have a shape they want to play. They have an approach they're going to go with. And I think that did make them more of a challenge for the United States, at least on paper. But that doesn't end up being the case last night. So final couple things on Martinique, specifically, Joe. From the outset, what did you see from them? What was that formation and that approach? I've characterized it as a 5-4-1 yeah. uh, that maybe was low to mid-block. Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to put it, Taylor. The only thing I'll add into that 5-4-1 mid-block, I think that is where they started, is it was pretty man-oriented. And I talk about mm -hmm. this fairly frequently because a lot of teams do this kind of stuff, but especially across the back line is where I noticed it. In that five-at-the-back shape, Martinique had some freedom to step out. If, if the U.S. had a runner or a player in in one of Martinique's defenders' vicinity, general vicinity, they would step to that player because they still have four players to cover if one player steps. So most often I noticed it with the outside center backs in that back three. So not the middle center back, but the ones just flanking that player. They would step forward to either Matthew Hoppy or they'd step forward to Christian Roldan to try to compress space in central midfield. That's not to say it was especially effective because I think the U.S. did find ways to bypass that, and maybe we'll talk about that later. But they had an idea of how they wanted to play, and it's hard because the quality difference definitely was there yep. and they didn't always look the most organized within that idea but but Taylor yeah that 5-4-1 mid block low block that then extended and, and shifted I think into more of a 4-4-2 in the second half they did start to press more as they go down 3-0 or 4-0 but at, at that point it's it's kind of done 
Yeah, and I think there was not much emphasis on building out of the back. They were content no. to go long and not sort of mess around and get caught out. And I think you're absolutely right with that 1v1, sort of the emphasis on man marking. I think it goes a long way towards explaining some of the moments in which the U.S. looked a little bit slow or a little bit like just ponderous on the ball. Eric Williamson gets caught a couple times in the first half, and I think a lot of that was not expecting that sort of defensive effort to catch up to him after he had gotten by the first defender. And then that defender came back and made a play. So I think there were those sort of individual moments that uh, limited what the U.S. were trying to do in moments. But for the most part, the U.S. was able to do exactly what they wanted, including score six goals, get a big win, one more. And I think they would have been fully, fully happy or one fewer conceded, maybe even happier. Uh, but Joe... We've talked about Martinique. Let's talk about the U.S. for a moment because we did have a change in approach. We thought this might be the case, and indeed it was. Much of the debate was about is it a 3-5-2 or a 3-4-3. At least that's what I saw on Twitter, and that's what uh, you and I uh, went back and forth on a little bit. I would say that in the end, I would most accurately describe this as a 3-2-4-1, and a lot of that is because of how often the U.S. had possession in Martinique's half. Yes, it was. And this is kind of semantics, right? The difference yes. between a 3-4-3 three, three and a 3-4-2-1. <laughs> but yeah. Taylor, I think that the way you've actually just described it is probably the most accurate, maybe a 3-2-5, just because the fullbacks, the wingbacks rather, were so, so high. I looked at the pass map on MLSsoccer.com for the U.S. in this game. And, I mean, Bello and Shaq Moore are up the field so much and so often because the U.S. dominated the ball. And I think that's an important thing to note in this game. They really they really didn't allow Martinique to be dangerous with the exception of that penalty kick and maybe a couple other defensive transition moments. The U.S. dominated the ball, and it was with the three center backs, the wing backs pushing high, a front three of sorts, and then a double pivot of Eric Williamson and Gianluca Busio. And Taylor, this lineup I thought was so fun. It was like Greg Berhalter had actually turned it over to people mm. on Twitter to choose the lineup for him. We saw James Sands get a start in the middle of the back line. We saw Eric Williamson get a start in midfield. Gianluca Busio, Daryl DK, Matthew Hoppy, George Bello, Shaq Moore. I mean, this was, this was maybe the best lineup, the most fun lineup, not necessarily the best lineup that you could have picked for this game, that Berhalter could have picked for this game. And I actually think the shape worked really well. It didn't end up being yep. that 3-5-2 as we've talked about, but the 3-4-3 worked pretty well, even though Hoppy and Christian Roldan maybe put slightly out of position. But I, I think everything meshed together pretty darn well in this game, Taylor. Yeah, I'm with you. I, and I do think this was personnel-wise pretty much the team that Twitter would have wanted. And I tweeted yeah. this last night. That said, I was fully expecting the press conference quote from Greg Berhalter about how, like, no, this is a thing we've always done. And we always have this in the back pocket whenever we need to, <laughs> uh, mostly because I'm sure he wouldn't want to uh, give Twitter too much credit. But also because I think the nuance of the system and the little nuances in terms of what individuals were being asked to do did differ a little bit from what I thought. I assumed we would get that front two, the kind of big, strong partnership of Hoppy and DK playing off of each other. I think when the U.S. shifted to this shape uh, in their first game against Haiti, it didn't look as strong because I didn't think there were as many options wide. And I think it ended up being a lot of long balls to sort of an isolated single striker. My expectation was that having two to kind of combine and play off of with maybe one, maybe Christian Roldan sitting a little bit underneath would have allowed the U.S. to to build that way. I did not see what they ended up doing uh, coming, which was basically having Hoppy like mirror Roldan a little bit. And that's where if you're going with that three, two, four, one, Roldan and Hoppy were routinely kind of the central attacking midfielders, but usually... 
I would say like left center mid slash left mid and right center mid slash right mid so that they were in a in an advanced position, but also out wide. And it almost gave you like an, if you're James Sands, you have the two center midfielders right in front of you, either one of them. Then you've got the two sort of wide center midfielders further up and then you've got the fullbacks even further up. And it gives you this sort of range of passing options that Martinique tried to cut out, tried to limit. But with that many different possibilities, it's difficult to do that. And I think the U.S. were therefore able to find those vertical passes, those direct passes far more regularly than I've seen in the past. Yeah, they had that overload in central midfield, that 4v2, four, four and if a, if a man from the back line was stepping forward, then maybe a 4v3, but most often, and then maybe even toss Sands in there for, to have five players in central areas, the oh, U.S. Wow. had that numerical advantage in central midfield, and Taylor, I love how you're talking about they were able to hit some direct passes or hit some vertical passes, because that to me was the pattern, the real tactical pattern for the U.S. in this game, is they would draw someone from Martinique's back line forward, one of the central defenders, and then they would run in behind. So Hoppy would would drop deeper into midfield, either get on the ball there and turn and drive forward or play the ball back or or even just not receive the ball deep in midfield at all and then turn his run, bend it in behind after having drawn that opposing defender out. Roldan would do the same thing on the other side. Even DK would do it sometimes from more central areas higher up the field. The U.S., I think, knew that Martinique were going to defend in a more man-oriented way and were trying to use the space in behind because there was space in behind to get the ball in more advanced positions and then play a cutback into the box. We saw a ton of those cutbacks in this game. We saw a bunch of them against Haiti as well. That's something that Berhalter likes in that Man City zone. Looking for the opportunities to get the ball in dangerous spots behind the back line and then cut it back. And that's not necessarily where the United States' first goal comes from. But there are moments like this throughout the game, in the first half and the second half, where they target those zones and have real success you know, giving, giving Martinique headaches with, within those attacking spaces. And before we get to the goals, a few more sort of tactical things from me. I thought the verticality from the United States was really interesting because I'm going to give a bunch of numbers here. I will try to do it slowly so I don't lose people. I want to compare two different performances. Uh, Canada versus Haiti had 58% possession, 452 passes, 12 total shots. So 58, 4, 452, 12. The U.S. against Haiti, 63% possession, so more. 532 passes, way more. 13 total shots, one more. So the U.S., with an emphasis on possession in that game, more passes, more touches, one more shot. If you contrast that with what both teams get against, did against Martinique, you see a difference. Uh, Canada had 65% possession versus Martinique, 533 passes, 14 total shots. The United States last night, 64% possession, so one percentage fewer, 440 passes, so 93 fewer, and 22 total shots, eight more than Canada got. So you see, I think, the directness there, the United States learning from some of those goals that Martinique conceded against Canada in transition, in those 1v1 isolations, and I think that was definitely a priority for the United States, and I think Burhalter talked about how the U.S. needed to be a bit more direct and be just a bit more decisive on the ball. He thought they were too slow, a little too ponderous. Joe, did you see the United States being faster in their tempo, faster in their passing? Uh, Because I think I did, and I think it's fundamentally a part of the overall shape and overall approach to this game. I I did see that, and part of me does attribute it to the shape, and I think the players were in good spots to be able to move the ball quickly, combine with each other, make runs in behind, all that good stuff. 
I also think, though, Taylor, it's down to personnel. Well, it's down to opponent, first of all. Sorry, there's the caveat we didn't Certainly. want to make mm-hmm. over and over again. But if we set that aside, I think the shape was helpful and it looked like they were operating well and confidently within that shape. But also I think personnel has a lot to do with it. There were players in this lineup who are willing to take risks, who are willing to play progressive passes. James Sands, we led the show with him. His passing from the back was incisive. It was aggressive. It was vertical. He has the pass that makes Jossie Zardes' goal. Yes, Christian Roldan plays the final ball, and it's a nice ball that's bending into Zardes' path. Maybe should have been cleared. I don't know. I'm not a professional soccer player. But James Sands is the one who, who finds Christian Roldan in midfield in build-up in the first place. And his passing was excellent throughout most of this game. Eric Williamson, willing to step forward, beat somebody on the dribble, and then ping a ball out to the left side. That's what kind of breaks open the first sequence. Yes, it's a little, the first goal sequence, I should say. Yes, the ball's a little overhit to George Bellow, but he's willing to play the ball forward. Busio, willing to play the ball forward. I'm not sure we saw the level of consistent forward passing. It sounds so simple. But I don't think we saw that against Haiti. And part of that for me, maybe even the biggest part, as much as I love to attribute things to tactics and to shape, I think it might have to do with the personnel that was on the field in this game. All right. I want to talk about that personnel. A final thing, though, for me from the shape and tactics perspective, the reason why I think I'm inclined to give a lot of credit to this shape change to this approach is because I think it cuts out Essentially, it cuts out a lot of the middlemen in the way the U.S. sometimes plays against opponents like this. So if the U.S. were in their usual 4-3-3, I think what we tend to see is once a weaker opponent, like maybe if they try to press, maybe they try to step a little bit high. But as soon as that hasn't worked, they drop into this 5-4-1 or a 6-2-2 or something like that. They get very defensive, and that's where the U.S. tend to slow down put their foot on the ball, and what we usually get is the number six dropping between the two center backs. The two center backs spread wide. That allows the fullbacks to then push up, but because the number six has dropped deep, that pulls back those sort of hybrid number eights. They have to set up a little bit deeper. Sometimes the way they, they do that is is too slow or they're not able to get back in time, and that means Jackson Ewell will have to turn and play another ball back or another lateral pass, or one of the center backs has to wait to play that ball in. When those number eights drop, that pulls the front line back, and so you end up having everybody move further away from goal, and they're doing it more slowly. And there are reasons to do that, and there are reasons why you maybe want that against a stronger opponent here where you can sort of cut out that middleman and essentially James Sands is Jackson Ewell dropping between the two number sixes. He's already there. That means when the U.S. get possession, when they're trying to build that back line, that back three will step higher up. And it's basically where the the back three becomes when the number six drops in. After like a minute or two of possession here, you're getting that automatically. But then because you have that as your default setup, that midfield, those two number eights, Busio and Eric Williamson last night, uh, I guess you could argue they were two number sixes maybe at times, Williamson or uh, Busio more of the number six, but those two set up a little bit deeper automatically and everybody is just more quickly in the space that they're supposed to be. And I think it lets them just move the ball faster and with more confidence and still having the cover you need. That back three gives you cover central and wide. That midfield two also clogs the middle and it prevents some of those counters. And I think it put the U.S. in very strong positions pretty frequently. They looked well drilled in that shape. They looked like the players knew exactly where they needed to be. They looked confident moving the ball in that shape. And that's important, right? I don't think we saw the level of confidence 
that was on display last night against Haiti. I really don't think we saw that. So no. having the U.S. look comfortable in the 3-4-3, which they haven't used a whole lot. Yes, it's definitely in the rotation at this point in terms of shapes that Peralta can go to. But it is it is definitely behind the 4-3-3 in terms of the number of minutes by a long shot that the U.S. has has used that shape in actual competition. So seeing this shape work so well with players who still are learning to play together, because this is not a group that spent much of any time together at all under Berhalter so far, I think those things are positive. And I, I really would like, I guess this is jumping ahead a little bit, but against Canada on Sunday... I think there's a real chance that this shape shows itself again, and this is what Berhalter chooses to go with because of how comfortable his players looked in this game. We are going to take a longer look at that Canada game later on in the show. We are going to talk individual performers, but first we're going to take a moment to reset and hear from some sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. All right, Joe, we've talked plenty of tactics. I'm sure there will be more to be discussed. We've talked Martinique and their relative strength. I think we've made that clear. Let's talk individuals from last night. Uh, who would you like to talk about who impressed you the most for whatever reason? And why was it Daryl DK? <laughs> yeah, let's start with DK. He gets two goals, almost gets a hat trick, uh, but the scorekeeper decided to take that from him, which is, I think, just because the header I think so did too. not appear to be on target from Daryl no, DK in not. the second goal for the United States. But I think, I think DK did exactly, this isn't a hot take, Taylor, but DK did exactly what you want your number nine to do yep. in this game. He scored two goals. The first one is a strong header. Yes, Martinique's defensive work in the box was pretty poor. He's not really being marked as Matthew Hoppy crosses the ball into him early in the first half. But man, it's a nice header. And the second goal is just unreal. He even takes a pass that was not intended for him from Christian Roldan, continues yeah. his run, and then chips the keeper. Everything about that goal, Taylor, is gorgeous, and I imagine you have a lot to say about it, so I'm just going to stop talking for a second and flip it to you. I do. Uh, I, I want to spotlight one thing you've already pointed out there. I thought Christian Roldan had a, a better game than it seems lots of other folks did. I didn't think he had the best game, but that sure. moment made me angry. When he puts his hands up in frustration, it's like, dude, you hit a chaos pass into the feet of potentially three of your own teammates and three or four Martinique players. You don't get to be annoyed if somebody else picks that ball up. And I think Daryl DK picking it up and then scoring in emphatic fashion, uh, I think Stu Holden pointed out in the broadcast, definitely seemed to quiet that frustration from Christian Roldan a little bit. But that's maybe going the negative route. I think to go the positive route, to your point, this is exactly what you want from a a, a forward like Daryl DK, who isn't the consensus uh, starting striker, but has a case to be made for that to be the case. And I think back that up last night, but he did it for me in very convincing style. And you do sometimes get these performances. I mean, Joaquini has nine or 10 different opportunities and finally gets his name on the score sheet, but it's not, and I'm not even being critical here. It's just, it's not that like, oh, he's got a chance to score and he scored it. 
that makes me feel good because yes, it's Martinique, but you still got to take your chances. You still got to score them. And if you miss five and then you score one, it's great. You scored one, but you're not going to have six chances against a stronger team. And here I love that first goal because it is a driven ball in from Hoppy. It's a little bit behind Daryl DK and he has the awareness to just drift away to find that little bit of space in the box. But then he knows he doesn't have to do a ton and lets the ball do the work. He adjusts his body and he makes I can't really explain the physics of it, but there's a, a a sort of thing you have to do to hit a directional header like that where it's just a flick. And the way you're using multiple little parts of your body to get the direction you need in the spin on that ball, it requires like lower back and shoulders and abs. And it's just lots of little adjustments to be able to directionally flick that ball on. And I love that. That's a clinical finish, in my opinion. Tings off the woodwork, and that's always good. And then the second goal... I mean, it, it kind of has everything. He has the strength to hold off Dondon. Then he turns to split two different defenders, so you see the kind of tight dribbling control. It's a little bit of attacking improvisation to a lot bit of attacking improvisation when he goes on the run and that first touch kind of pops up, but then he's able to control it. And the smart technical touch to take him through the lines, the finish itself being very, very clever, very, very precise, but very difficult makes it very good. And I think my my favorite little moment of this goal that it just like I watched it over and over and over again is when uh, Samuel Camille, the left wing back, tries to get position. I think he recognizes what's happening after that kind of flick through the line by DK, the self flick. Uh, and Camille puts himself in Normally the position to be able to like, okay, you're going to have to barge into me and foul me, or I'm at least going to be able to make a play on this ball. And it's a move that I equate with Didier Drogba that Gerald DK does of just, it's, it's a, it's a swim move, but it's also a little bit of a hip check at the same time, but it's never going to be a foul, but it's clearly born of a, of a, a goal scorer who senses a goal is there and will not be prevented from scoring. And DK was not prevented from scoring by Camille, uh, who just really gets bounced off the ball and then it goes in the back of the net. But that it wasn't a smash. It was just a very clever finish. I loved everything about those two goals from Daryl DK. And I really enjoyed everything I saw from him last night. I want to nitpick a tiny bit because as much as I loved, I loved the goals, I loved a lot of what I saw from Daryl DK. I think there is a little bit of room for his off-ball movement in the box, at least in this game, because I think it's been Tell good at times in the past. But I think there's room for him to sharpen up that movement a little bit. We'll talk about it. We talk about it with Josh Sargent some in and around the box. DK, I'm thinking especially of, and I can't, I can't find the 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 note of it uh, in, in my notes. That's redundant. But it's when DK gets on the ball and, and just sort of flicks it back to Hoppy, redirects it back to Hoppy in the first half. Maybe the cross comes in from Shaq Moore on that right side, and it's a cutback and then DK toe touches it back and then Hoppy hits the shot and it's deflected. I think the run, if you go back and watch that sequence from DK... Uh, 17th minute, I think. Thank you. I think thank I got you. that in my Could be... That sounds right to me. It could be a little sharper in terms of his movement. It looks to me like he's floating in no man's land, and I'm not an expert, so I'm willing to be very wrong on this. But just little things like that, little things in terms of the angle that he's making his runs in behind the back line. Stuff like that, I think, could be sharpened a tiny bit. And then also his passing, his his movement in between the lines, getting on the ball and playing accurate passes. Sometimes it felt to me like in this game he was a little bit rushed. And so those are, are very small things because I led this DK conversation with he did what you need him to do. And so that that should be the prevailing narrative here. But as he maybe gets a start against Canada, those are things, his movement and then and what he's doing with the ball, those are things that I'm looking for to see how sharp they are in that game on Sunday. I think the vibe for... TSS reviews in general, but especially for games like this, is to 
emphasize the fun, but also be measured. And Joe, I think that you've done a good job of bringing us back to being measured because Daryl DK won't be able to do this against certain opponents. Certain opponents will be better defensively. Certain opponents will foul him when he tries to go on that run. And I think like if we have this expectation of, yep, he's the number nine now and he's going to be able to do that every game, you're setting him up to fail. But I think, Joe, this is where you're very smart to point out. We saw some good things. We know he can continue to do that and we hope he will. Here are the things that we need him to work on and we want to see him do a little bit better or a little bit differently against a stronger opponent, which we'll have in the form of Canada. And I do think Daryl DK will start that game. At least I hope he will. So I think to watch his movement, to watch some of his runs and to see what he's doing is a good note to have for that one. Joe, uh, anything else with Daryl DK? Because I want to take us in a different direction for a moment. No, take us forward, Taylor. All right. The reason why I have that 17th minute noted is because it was the start of my Matthew Hoppy confusion in this game. <laughs> uh, he is one, again, that from... I tried not to read too much because we didn't do the quick take last night. So whenever that's the case, I don't want a ton of outside influences sort of factoring into my understanding of this game. Hoppy seems to have gotten a lot of praise, and I understand why. But I also have a lot of my notes of, like, it just – it was, like, 70% good, 80% good. But there would always be a first touch that popped up or a first touch that wasn't controlled or a little bit too slow. And in this moment, it's a, it's a good late-arriving run to get on the end of that cutback. But it's another one. He did this a few times in the opening 20 minutes when I think he's going for placement, and he's so focused on making sure he doesn't – miss the chance or miss the target completely that instead he lays it up. And in this case, I think he telegraphs where that shot is going to be. And it's, it's pretty clearly blocked. It's not even blocked out for a corner. I think it's blocked and goes like back towards maybe the center of the pitch. So it's a pretty clear block in what he's doing. But then like, like I think there's one in the first 10 minutes where he gets played in. It's a tight angle, but he goes, I can't tell if it's a pass to the far corner or a pass for somebody running in at the far corner. But either way, it's just easily handled and it doesn't create much difficulty for the defense or for Maslion, the goalkeeper. And I thought there were just like moments of I just let down that made me less enthusiastic about what I saw from Matthew Hoppy. That said, he was being asked to do a lot more, I think, and his like dropping in and being more of a midfielder, but then still getting involved in the attack, drifting wide to create overloads there, sometimes dropping like further back than Busio would on occasion. I thought he had a ton of responsibility and I thought he handled it pretty well, but he is one that I'm a little bit uncertain about, Joe. So I turn it over to you to hear your thoughts on Matthew Hoppy. It was inconsistent, right? It was inconsistent. That when was the word I was trying to remember the entire time. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> You're welcome. It was it was back and forth, and sometimes he would do something just dazzling and, and wonderful, like that nutmeg before he he plays a really nice pass to Busio, or a midway midway through this midway through the first half. Later on in the first half, it's a great moment, and you can see, man, this guy has skills on the ball that we just straight up don't get to see with Schalke because Schalke are a disaster, and in the role that he's playing, Taylor, you did well to highlight it is just so different from what he did with Schalke. We watched him a bunch this past season and talked about him on the show. He was a get-behind number nine in a front two. He was not a, I'm going to drop in and play as an attacking midfielder or as a very, very narrow winger in a 3-4-3. That was not at all his role. And so maybe this is actually a better fit for his skill set. Maybe it's not. We don't. I don't think we've seen enough of him yet at the international level or even at the club level to decide that. But Hoppy showed enough to make me optimistic about what he might be able to do in the second Bundesliga this year with Schalke. He, he made me optimistic that we could potentially even see him again against Canada. He clearly has some quality on the ball. He clearly has some some real skill with his dribbling and could play a couple nice forward slip passes or a nice cross into the box. 
But at times the touches were slow. They were a little bit sloppy. Some of the decision making wasn't it wasn't exactly where you want it to be. But this is kind of what you get with young players. And I think we saw a little bit more inconsistency with Hoppy than we did with Williamson or Busio or, or maybe Bello or Sands even. But there was all with all those players, there was a degree of inconsistency. Right. And so I think it was easiest to see with Hoppy. But I'm also not surprised in his first appearance for the United States men's national team that we're seeing some of this stuff. I think that's OK. But that's not to say it's not important to note because it is Taylor. I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, stick with Hoppy for a moment. I think part of the reason why I didn't love the idea of the U.S. being in a three-four-three when I saw this lineup, and Joe, when you when you mentioned that being a possibility, is that it sounded a little bit like it was going to be a shoehorn approach. Of it was going to be Burhalter just seeing what Hoppy could do wide. Can he be a wide attacker? Could he be a winger for the U.S.? Let's see. And. I was worried that was going to be how this approach went, and it was not. And for that reason, I really enjoyed the way Hoppy was utilized in this game. Uh, so, so to start there, I thought him not just being a wide attacker, I don't think that would have really benefited him, but that he had freedom to dribble, freedom to move. He could drop deep, but he could also partner Daryl DK at times. I thought it put him in a, in a more comfortable position, and I think that showed. I think he did have that sort of confident swagger. It seems like basically, I think I almost wrote this in my notes a couple different times, that like he reminds me of a person who really enjoyed the gif of Clint Dempsey ripping up the official's notebook. <laughs> he has that level of like, oh, you fouled me? Well, then I will foul you right back, sir. Like, and, and, and I like that feistiness. I like that tenacity, especially from a youngster, especially uh, coming into this tournament and trying to make an impact. And I think overall then I enjoyed what I saw from him in a slightly different position with some similarities but some key differences and I thought he he adjusted well. I think it then, similar to DK and your points uh, on him, it's just what does he do next? How does he kind of improve and tighten things up? Joe, against Canada, if we see Hoppy, if we see this same shape, what is a thing that you wouldn't mind seeing that would tell you, okay, there is development there, they have been working on some things, they identified a shortcoming and now they're fixing it? Uh, I don't know if this is something that can be fixed between now and Canada, but I'd just like to see him be a little cleaner on the ball. There's a moment mm -hmm. in the 26th minute where the ball comes into him in the box and it's a sloppy touch and he loses it. Just just little things like that, yep. I think, would go a long way to cleaning up his game and making him just 50%, 20%, 30 whatever, some random percentage more effective in, in that left inside winger kind of role. That's not a term, but I'm making it one. Just that that little stuff, maybe making a, a half second faster decisions on the ball. Little things like that. I thought generally speaking, his positioning was good, dropping in, finding spaces, and also running in behind. So I, I'd like that stuff to stay, but maybe being just a little quicker with, with getting rid of yeah. the ball and being a little cleaner on the ball. Those are things that I think really would benefit him. And to to emphasize that one, I would say the second goal, the own goal uh, for the United States, uh, comes about because it's it's a ball into the box for Hoppy, who I think it's yeah, it's it's Hoppy who goes to control and he settles it, but he doesn't bring it down like fully cleanly, and then Martinique are able to make a play, and it's basically George Bello counter pressing that wins the ball back, and then it's the really clever back heel, the well hit back heel uh, from Hoppy to Busio that is the the rocket that is saved onto the post, and it's a great hit, it's a wonderful save, and then it ends up in the goal, but it's that moment of like I didn't quite control that, maybe he could have done a little bit better, but then he has the improvisational ability and the sort of alertness and awareness to stay alive to the play, so there's positives, but maybe a small negative there and that's where I was on Matthew Hoppy's overall performance so yeah a little cleaner a little tighter and I think some of those negatives 
uh, go away and become uh, all the more positive. So uh, we've talked about two of the attackers for the United States, Joe. Uh, what other individual players should we spotlight? Well, you just mentioned Jean-Luc Abuzio there, so I think we should talk about him in a little okay. bit more detail. Taylor, what does Abuzio have to do to score a goal? Darn it. Because he hit the woodwork <laughs> against Haiti, right? Yep. With that thunderous strike off the bench, and then he hits the woodwork <laughs> again in this game. His yep. right foot is so good, and sometimes he doesn't always take shots from the best spots because his right foot is so good, and I think that maybe is a little knock on his game. But man, in front of the crowd at Children's Mercy Park, I, I just want him to score so, so bad. But zooming, zooming back a little bit. Sorry, I got a little carried away there. I think Busio brought tempo to this game. I think he brought yes. rhythm. He brought, he brought a willingness to move the ball forward. And, and these are all things that Jackson Ewell can do but hadn't been showing as consistently as you need from a defensive midfielder, whether that's in a 4-3-3 or in, as, as part of a double pivot in a 3-4-3. I really liked what Busio brought. He was not flawless by any stretch of the imagination. A little bit sluggish defensively. I think the U.S. in general in this game – at times, I know I talked about how they didn't give up many chances. I'm a little concerned if we see this midfield again, the same double pivot again against Canada, that it might not have the defensive chops and the, the ability to pressure the ball effectively to contain Canada on the break. But I, it worked okay against Martinique. There just were spaces in behind Busio and in behind Williamson that made me a little bit nervous. But setting that aside, I think Busio, generally speaking, had an, a really good game. I was going to say excellent, but I think he had a really good game. The biggest thing that stands out in my mind, I tweeted this last night during my rewatch, that turn he has in the 72nd minute, the U.S. are building up. And I, I, again, I posted this, go watch it because it's incredible. It's a beautiful moment. I have the it US in are building up in like size 18 font, Busio turn. <laughs> it's one of my bigger notes from last night. I love that. The ball comes into him and he doesn't even, he doesn't even touch the ball. He just turns and lets the ball mm-hmm. run through and split two defenders. And that's his turn. He, he's smart enough and clever enough in that moment to realize this is the most effective way I can go from having my back facing the goal I need to get to, to being able to actually physically face with my chest forward running towards goal. That, that's a beautiful moment. And the pass, the pass to Bello is a little bit under hit and it slows down the counterattack a little bit. But everything about that sequence prior to the pass is just perfect. And it shows me that that Busio does have the ability to be more aggressive in possession, something that I don't really see a lot from him with Sporting Kansas City and, and saw some against Haiti off the bench. But I think we saw it more consistently in this game against Martinique. And that made me happy, Taylor. Yeah. And I think the thing that you uh, a couple things, the first would be a thing you hit upon early in that one is is his his tempo, the quickness with which he plays and I, I will use this sort of analogy and also uh, say nice things about Joe for a moment. This will probably come as no surprise to listeners, but a big like reason why Joe has uh, become just like so important to Total Soccer Show is not just because he's smart and brings great analysis, but it's because like he has great work ethic and there's a a hustle to Joe's work ethic. If I ask him to do something, it's like, yeah, sure. And then he gets it done faster than I'm almost comfortable with. Like maybe time travel is involved. Maybe he's got some spyware set up. I'm not sure. But like you want to see that hustle. If you are an employer and you give somebody some work to be done and their approach is like, okay, and they take it and they kind of like walk back to their office and you can tell they're not that into it. It doesn't motivate you. It doesn't make you feel like, okay, this is getting done. And not like naming names, but there are times when the U.S. do go with the back four, but then the number six drops in and it's just it's slow and and the tempo just dips and everybody drops from fourth gear to second gear to first gear and everything slows down. And, and Busio is the employee who's got the hustle, who's like, yep, I'm on it and takes the memo and 
walks with a quick step back to the office and gets stuff done. And you want that level of energy. You want that level of intensity because it makes everybody continue to function at that same rate. If he is going to let the ball roll by intentionally, it's like a self dummy, but then collect it on the other side and play it forward. You can't like, like take a moment to kind of jog back into position and take your time. Cause you know, you've got a few extra seconds to be there. You've got to be there and you've got to be alert to it. And it just keeps things moving fast. I think Joe, that your point about like his directness of play and some of his passing is the downside to that because then you've got to know when to keep that tempo up and when once you've put yourself in a stronger attacking position, when you can slow down and pick your passes just with more wisdom, with more awareness of, I don't have to go direct into Daryl DK behind the line. There's uh, Bello running down one side, or or there's Shaq Moore on the other that I can hit that big switch, and now we can kind of further uh, create confusion for Martinique. So I think that decision-making will be very, very important. And my final thing on Bello that I want to mention is is with all of his positive numbers, 64 of 73 passing, so 88%, 5 Bello of 7 long or passes. Bello Taylor? Just, just to clarify, Bello, Bello or Busio? Busio, excuse me. Ah, I knew I was going to do that at some point. Bello and Busio. I, <laughs> I was just thinking that's a lot of passes for Bello. I, I didn't yeah. know he was on the ball that much. Keep My going. Bad. Keep going. <laughs> Busio, uh, with all the positives, uh, yeah, uh, 64 passes completed, five of seven long passes, four key passes. I don't understand his corners. And I don't know if you noticed this, Joe, or if you have seen this before yeah. for him at club level. <laughs> Sometimes they are that kind of like low swinging bending ball that causes problems. But a lot of the time last night, there were these weird moon balls to the back post. Twice they bounce all the way clear. And I think one of the goals comes about because it bounces all the way clear. Williamson collects it and plays it back in. And then it's headed in for the goal. But like, I, I don't understand that approach and I'm assuming it's deliberate, but I, I would just like to be less confused by Jean-Luc Abusio's <laughs> corner kick routine. I don't know what the point of that. Mo- I love the phrase moon ball, Taylor. I'm stealing that. That's excellent. Um, oh, yeah, man. It happened twice in the second half, and I only noticed it twice. Maybe it happened again, and I just missed it, it but I'm pretty it sure. It happens for the third goal, and it happens in the 79th and 90th minutes. Okay, okay. So there is that third time. I think it was deliberate, Taylor, because Busio is a real asset, in, to my eye at least, on set pieces. The way that he can bend that ball. He just has, Jordan Angeli always says texture. He, he really does put a great texture on the ball, and he can bend it, and just it seems like he can get it to do whatever he wants. And, and because I've seen that with the U.S. already in his short career with the senior team and with Sporting Kansas City, it, the fact that he can place the ball where he wants to place it, it definitely makes me think, OK, those moon balls are deliberate and it's some set piece that the U.S. is trying to run that looks really weird and it's not working and I don't understand it. Because those those main two times in the second half where Busio does it, it just it, – I mean it just doesn't work. It doesn't cause any problem for, for Martinique in their defense or their goalkeeper or any of that stuff. So yeah, that's that was weird. I don't fully understand what the routine was because I thought by and large the U.S. looked dangerous on set pieces in this game. Busio had some nice balls in. They had that nice short corner kick routine in the first half where the ball goes from Busio to Roldan to a, a bending ball in behind in the air to Daryl DK, who tries to get it on frame. There was a lot to like from the set piece portion of this game for the United States, but uh, those moon balls were not really part of that for me. All right, we will keep talking about individual performers in the USA's 6-1 win over Martinique. But first, another break to hear from some sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. All right, Joe, we've talked about Gianluca Busio. Let's talk about his midfield partner or his most direct midfield partner, Eric Williamson. What did you make of him last night? Shifty, man. Eric Williamson was so shifty on the ball. And that's great to see because that's exactly what he is for the Portland Timbers. That really is what he was off the bench against Haiti in the first game of this tournament, even though he didn't get involved quite as much. There's a moment in the seventh minute where Eric Williamson gets on the ball, he moves it forward, and he draws a foul Mm -hmm. on the dribble just because he is such a threat to beat you 1v1 from central areas. And I love that about him. In the 18th minute, there's another somewhat similar sequence to Holden wisely pointed out on the broadcast that maybe Williamson's touch got away from him a little bit. So he was a little bit fortunate to get out of that with drawing a foul but I think by and large, I, I just liked his aggressiveness. He wasn't perfect. And he, he had many moments in this game that I think, okay, that needs to be cleaned up a little bit. He turns the ball over in the 32nd minute after dribbling in deep, pretty deep in the U.S.'s own half. And then he has to foul to kind of bail himself out of that moment. But by and large, I'd rather have a player who's trying stuff, who will hit that ball out to Bello on the left wing to lead to the U.S.'s first goal, who will dribble. Maybe he's going to turn it over, but that's how you break down teams like Martinique. That's how you win games, is you have players who are willing to be aggressive. And you want to find the balance between aggression and, and safe play. But taking risks, I think, is good. And it wasn't flawless, but man, I'd so much rather have Williamson driving forward out of midfield and trying to do stuff than just a passive... I'm not even really thinking of anyone in particular here, but just a passive mm-hmm. kind of dull mil- midfield performance against a team like Martinique. I, I, I generally really liked what I saw from him, even though there was a lot to improve. 
Yeah, I think I think we're both kind of in the same mindset as what we talked about with Daryl DK, where where it was fun and it's fun to get to talk about it, but at the same time we want to be measured, and there are certainly areas for improvement. I, I noted uh, those same minutes you talked about with Williamson, like not just going on the dribble, but I also thought. Uh, for the one in the seventh minute, it's basically recognizing that Martinique are cheating a little bit. They've sent numbers into areas where they think the ball is going to go. And so he just turns back into space and has tons of it to play with. Uh, for the opening goal, he does the exact same thing. It's a little like he checks the shoulder. The defender bites on that check and tries to go close down the space where he thinks the ball is going to go. And then Williamson just turns and goes exactly to the space the defender has just vacated. Then he pings in that sort of low driven ball. Uh, it bypasses Hoppy, who had dropped it and pulled some defenders out, and that's how George Bellow has played in. He drops it back to Hoppy, ball goes in, 1-0 USA. But yeah, to your point, Joe, it's it's that turn and directness from Eric Williamson that we have missed, I think, at times for the United States, and I loved that. And exactly what you spotlighted, I did not love how he tended to hold the ball at times in the first half, and even in the second half, where it seemed he was a key offender in what I talked about in the very beginning with Martinique's approach being, we'll be individual, we will step to you, and if you get by them, I think there's a thinking for Williamson of like, all right, I've bypassed that player, now they're out of it, now what comes next? And it never occurs to him that that player is going to come back and make a play, and so two or three times he gets robbed just holding the ball a little bit too long, and so I come away from it thinking I saw a lot of positive, and I saw a lot of positive in his play, in his positioning, in his confidence, in the way he wants to play. What I really want to see is what he can do against Canada, because I think against an opponent that is stronger, that will probably press a little bit more or certainly make it harder for him to have time on the ball. How does that impact him? Does he have that same level of confidence? Does he still try stuff? Should he try stuff? Does he try too much? Does he turn into pressure and lose the ball and concede a counterattack? Like, I think we saw a ton of positive from him, and it makes me really excited for what we see next. But I also want to see how he develops and adjusts against a stronger opponent like Canada. So I very much hope we see him. Honestly, I hope we see him in a similar position to what we saw last night. Yeah, so do I. And part of me is really afraid that that's not going to happen. Uh, I think we could see a lot of rotation back to a more similar lineup to the Haiti game. And that makes me a little bit sad, but I'm, I'm crossing my fingers, I'm crossing my toes, and hoping that we see Eric Williamson in central midfield again, just because I like I like what he brings to the table. And I think he and Busio and Sands, even dipping into the back line there, I think they complement each other well for the most part. And Sands can cover for some of their defensive deficiencies, and they can all three be assets in terms of ball progression. I just really liked that little triangle at the base of the United States' shape, and I, I hope we see that again at some point in this tournament. We've worked our way backwards, we've gone forwards, we've gone center midfielders. Let's go to that center center back, Joe, uh, the man whose uh, fan club you are now the president of, maybe also vice president. I'm not sure how many roles you're occupying. <laughs> James Sands. Uh, I know you were paying more attention to him in the rewatch and his passing range uh, because it seemed to be really solid. Uh, for the most part, I don't remember him doing anything wrong except for maybe getting poked in the eye. I don't think that's necessarily <laughs> his fault. And I thought even in the times when maybe he did just get caught. He never gets caught out. He never like concedes the ball and it's an obvious goal scoring chance. I think there's a couple times when maybe he has a heavy touch, but even then he makes up for it. He makes a play. He goes into challenges hard. He wins the ball, but then he makes smart, safe passes. He doesn't get caught out. I thought it was one of the stronger performances from an American last night. Uh, what did you make of him live and in the rewatch? I, I think he was excellent in this game for the U.S. men's national team. I think he anchored 
that back line really well. And this, I'll even extend this to Miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman. I thought that back three had a really strong defensive performance in this game, which is what you want. It's what you expect against Martinique. And they did the job very well stopping counterattacks if the midfield had been bypassed, closing things down, cleaning things up in their defensive half. I I thought it was a really strong defensive performance from all three of those guys. James Sands in particular, I think, does an excellent job. And this shouldn't come as any surprise to folks that have watched him with NYCFC on a regular basis. He's just very good at reading the play, shifting over, being being boring in the middle of the back line and cleaning things up, winning the ball, and then playing a simple pass. And he did that a number of different times in this game. In the 10th minute, he cleans up a defensive transition opportunity for, or I guess an attacking transition opportunity for Martinique in a defensive moment for the United States men's national team. He did that a bunch of times in this game. He was just such an effective reliable, and again, not making conclusions based on this game, but he's an effective, reliable presence for NYCFC. And I don't see a reason why that wouldn't be true for the U.S. down the line, whether that's against Canada or further down, maybe even into World Cup qualifying, stuff like that. So I loved his defensive work. I also really did like his work on the ball. He, He almost got too comfy on the ball, I thought. At times, there's that moment, Taylor, that I think you were alluding to. It's in the 16th, 17th minute in that range where Sands moves over to the left sideline to clean something up, and he tries to pass his way out of pressure. And it it doesn't really work, though, because there's a Martinique player closing him down, and it's kind of a 50-50 ball that Sands tries to finesse, and he ends up losing the ball. But don't worry, you know, it's James Sands. He just moves over and wins the ball right back seconds later and cleans up the work, the the mess that he made on the ground. He does that, and he has the ability to, to make plays, he has the ability to reduce plays to nothing. And I think that's so helpful. You combine that with the quality passing that he showed for most of this game. I I just liked 95, 98%. I guess today is a lot of random percentages for me on this show. I liked what I saw from James Sands Taylor. I liked it a lot. Yeah, he he's like a professional tradesman in my mind of like if you're trying to do it yourself and like I'm going to redo the cock in the bathroom and you're trying to like make the bead perfect. There's no experience <laughs> here, Joe. I've never had to do this before. And then just a professional comes in and knocks it out and makes it look really easy. And it's right. this like elaborate job that they've just come in and like done the job and it's done and it's simple and it looks good. Like that was James Sands. It just there was occasionally there would be like maybe a little bit of flair on the ball, but that was only in the exact right moments where that was allowed. Other than that, it was like, oh, loose ball. I will tidy that up and get the ball away. And now we will continue to play. Like it just, it was, I guess, no nonsense, but not in the Roy Keane sense, just in a very like practical way of playing uh, sort of approach. So I, I loved what I saw from James Sands and I hope we see more of him in this tournament. Uh, a couple other names to get to quickly. I thought Christian Roldan had a very Sebastian Legette versus Haiti performance. <laughs> <laughs> which is one that, like, I think because he is a veteran and and has a lot of responsibility as a result, it, it sort of is easy to overlook him and I think to even think, like, yeah, he didn't have an... It's another anonymous performance. And I think on the rewatch, I saw him just doing... Just a lot of little things that sometimes it's stepping up and making it a tight front three if they do want to make sure that Martinique weren't trying to build out. But then as soon as they don't, he gets into the exact right position he needs to be defensively, but also for transition. He makes simple passes. Yes, he does protest uh, the ball in for Dale DK, which did annoy me. But then there's other little things like in the uh, the third goal that we talked about previously with the Busio overhit corner. Williamson collects. He plays it in. Uh, and I believe... Uh, 
who is it? Robinson? Robinson gets the finish there for yeah. the third goal. Uh, but a big reason why he's so open is because he's drifted away from Dundun, which is, is just good sort of presence of mind. But then as Dundun goes to, to try to get, like make sure he's within touching distance, Christian Roldan is crashing, makes a play on the ball, but also sort of bodies Dundun a little bit, not in a foul sort of way, but in a way that Dundun then has to think like, oh, I've got my mark. Don't worry, I'm covered. And that opens up even more space for Miles Robinson to just be wide open for the header. And I just thought that was such a representative moment for me of what Roldan did last night, which is not necessarily highlight real stuff. And he has a few shots that don't go in. I think he should have gotten two assists, though I think he's officially only credited with one. And that Bending ball in for Giassi Zardes was immense, and that probably is his highlight real moment of the game. Uh, but I, I thought it was just a like another quietly good Christian Roldan performance that I think will probably annoy Twitter. But I don't care because I think he continues to be the veteran presence that's brought in to be a veteran presence and do a lot of things for Greg Berhalter. I would rather see Christian Roldan start in that narrow right wing spot than Nicholas Joachini, right, against yep. Canada. That's kind of where I'm at. I think he's just more comfortable in that pocket. He plays that spot oftentimes, and it's fluid for Brian Schmetzer and the Seattle Sounders, but he plays that spot at club level. I think he could very likely run it back and get another look in that in that position against Canada, just because I don't think he did a ton of things wrong in this game. And that's kind of what you want from Christian Roldan. If you get out of a game and Christian Roldan is is a net even or a net positive, I think you have to be pretty happy with that. Yes. Uh, I was so I was pretty net uh, positive happy with Christian Roldan. And the same goes for Matt Turner, who's a player we didn't really talk about from the first game. And there's not a ton to talk about with him uh, from this game. Obviously, there's a penalty. I don't really... You're never going to say the keeper should have done better on a penalty. Uh, and, and it's well taken by Riviere. I think the the one to spotlight is that late save that keeps the US, the scoreline as it was, and it is kind of a one v one. He gets off his line, he makes a big play, and you could make the argument like, yeah, that's what a goalkeeper does. They're supposed to keep like a clean sheet to the best of their ability, and he makes a play, so be it. But I think for a goalkeeper who at that point has a team that's six one up, and I I've played in games where when you're six to one up or down, the opposition or your own goalkeeper will like come out and try to be there for a corner or be standing at midfield, like they want to be involved. Foot is off the gas. It's easy to lose focus, and I think that in those dying moments when the U.S. are still pressing for one more, they want to go level on goal scored with Canada. That there are vulnerabilities there, and that's when you need your goalkeeper to be a goalkeeper and be switched on from start to finish and not lose focus and not want to get involved in the attack or do silly things, but just be there to make the play, to make the stop, to keep your team feeling confident. And I think that is exactly what he did, and I I do think that was a big thing for me last night in helping me to further understand why everybody loves Matt Turner. This might sound so stupid, but it really did feel like, even though the score was 6-1, to it felt like... This was a late, important moment for the United States men's national team because of how Greg Berhalter is pushing them forward after Nicholas Joachini gets that sixth goal in the 90th minute. They need one more goal because they've conceded one. Their goal difference is, I I believe, level with Canada, but they've scored one fewer goal in the tournament. So they need one more goal to move ahead on the tiebreaker to top the group. And then in, in that final game against Canada on Sunday, that would have allowed the U.S. to be 
able to top the group with a win or a draw instead of just a win. Now, because they didn't get that extra goal at the end of this game, the U.S. does need a win to top the group and likely stay on the opposite side of the bracket as Mexico, which is kind of where you want to be. I think you want to meet them as late in the tournament as possible. So it felt yep. like, even though the score is 6-1, yes, I get it, it felt like, man, this is a big moment. If, if Martinique score right here on this breakaway, it's done. The U.S. is going to be in second place in the group heading into that Canada game, and they'll have to win. You want to give them as much cover as possible. And so when Matt Turner makes that save, I could almost just picture myself watching him, and I don't, I don't know if this will happen, but I could picture myself watching him in an important game, in a World Cup qualifier, where the U.S. does need that save because it's not 6-1, to one, it's 1-1 one, one, or it's 1-0, and they need him to make that move, and just Turner's such an excellent shot stopper. I thought that moment, maybe more than any other moment from him in this tournament, was encouraging to see, okay, this guy makes saves like this for the revolution, he can do and will do the same for the U.S. men's national team. There are some players we haven't really talked about that much, uh, and I think maybe we can talk about them or not uh, when we look at that Canada game for a moment, Joe. So, for example, at fullback, first of all, would you like to see the United States stick with this shape with a back three with wingbacks? Would you rather them go back to the kind of more conventional 4-3-3 that we've seen from Burhalter? I, th- I think I lean, let's just do this again, because we yep. still don't have as many wingers and the depth out wide to, to kind of make that attack happen. This seemed to work, so so why not stick with it? That's where I am. Are are you on that one, or are you okay with the back four? I mean, I'm okay either way, but I'd much yeah. rather see this back three just because James Sands kind of maybe could possibly be a game changer, and I think mm-hmm. if, if it's a back four, we don't see him, and I'd really like to see him, and that's not just the president of the James Sands fan club talking. <laughs> that's, you know, that's also my alter ego, just Joe Lowry talking. I like it. And I like it because it also then allowed Zimmerman to step out and make plays both defensively, but also carry the ball forward. Uh, yeah. Miles Robinson, I think, did the same. And I liked how you could see them. Like, there's one moment in the second half when Zimmerman thinks he's been fouled, but it's going the other way. And he kind of starts jogging back and slows down to kind of, to have a word with the official. And when it cuts to the wide angle, at first I was like, dude, get back into shape. Like, use this as game experience you can't sort of dawdle there and you look and there is coverage because those the two remaining center backs Sands and Robinson have have spread a little bit out to make sure that the gaps are covered but then the midfielders have sat in and I just thought there was there was coverage around that was logical and stable and I would like to see more of that so I'm good with that back three I'm good with Matt Turner in goal. What about out wide in those wingback positions? That's an area we haven't talked much about so far. It could be Shaq Moore. It could be Kellen Acosta on the right. Maybe it's Reggie Cannon. I don't know if he's been completely ruled out. My guess would be that if he's not, then we'll see him in the knockout stage, but he'll keep resting for the group stage. So my guess would be it's either Shaq Moore or Kellen Acosta on the right, and then it's either George Bellow or Sam Vines on the left. On the right, I'd like to see Shaq Moore again, just because I think he's been pretty darn good in this tournament so far. He hasn't done a lot wrong. He's maybe a a bit cross-heavy in terms of what he brings in the final Mm -hmm. third, but he can also play a nice cutback. He had a really nice bending ball down the line in the second half of this game for the U.S. in a deeper position. I I like what he brings. I think he's a pretty reliable 1v1 defender, although we might not know that yet for the U.S. men's national team. But I'd like to see Shaq Moore. Kellen Acosta doesn't really help himself in this game, getting that uh, penalty called against him after he he brings down a player at at the edge of the box. Maybe it's outside the box. Maybe it's inside the box. He gets dusted. So I'm not really too concerned about whether the foul took place in or outside the 18. Either way, Acosta can bring some value at that spot, but I just, I'd like to see more, maybe Acosta in a more central position. And then on the left, I, I just don't think George Bello is super good. 
at soccer at the moment, and he's such a young player. But he just he oh, didn't I really that made you very uncomfortable to say it. It did because he's so young, Taylor, and yep. I know he has talent, and he's been the next big thing at left back for a while, maybe less so now. But in in this game, he just he didn't have it. He didn't bring much in the attack. He had some really errant passes, or at least one big errant cross in the second half that just sailed over everybody. He looks out of control in the final third. He doesn't look like he's calm and comfortable and confident. He looks like he's just trying too hard, and he's such a naturally talented player that the pieces are there. He's just not putting them together right now. So I I think I'd rather see Sam Vines in a pretty important game against Canada rather than George Bellow. But uh, Taylor, where are you at as far as right wing back and left wing back? I, I agree with you. I think I go Sam Vines. And I'm with you also that I, th- I saw George Bellow being like pretty direct on occasion and, and making some questionable decisions. And, and the reason why that stood out to me was because multiple times in the first half, when the U.S., I think, did have periods where it was overly direct, he was consistently a player who was doing the calm down gesture and slow down. And when the ball went out of bounds, he would turn and sort of have words with a player who'd hit it out of bounds. And he was wanting everyone to slow it down and just be a bit more deliberate in their passing. And and it's a strange thing that can happen. I'm not saying it did here, but it feels like that type of game where like it's it's not quite a quicksand game. But when you want everybody to slow down and just be just a bit more thoughtful with possession and keeping the ball. But if everybody in your at least in your mind is playing these direct passes and being very aggressive and it's high tempo when you get that ball. When you receive the ball, that is, that thinking overrides the let's be calm. And I saw that keep happening where he would be of two minds and he receives the ball and then he goes direct and turns it over or dribbles out of bounds or over hits a cross. And, and I would rather him pick those moments when, when they're on and when it's the right time to try to do that versus be able to keep maintain that. Okay. I'm going to receive the ball, pull a defender out, and now I'm going to pass it centrally to Williamson or Busio or drop it back to, to one of the center backs and we'll keep the ball moving. Like I, I think he, like the, the variety in what he's doing needs to, uh, just increase a bit. And so if he plays against Canada, if he starts against Canada, I will be okay with it. I will be maybe more concerned than I think I would be with Sam Vines. That said, we had some deficiencies in Vines' game uh, in the opener against Haiti. So I think that is an area to keep an eye on both for the United States and for U.S. fans, but also for Canada because they've got some attacking talent themselves. They obviously do not have Alfonso Davies, but they still have Kyle Lahren, Junior Hoylett, Cavallini, uh, Osorio, uh, Mark Anthony Kay. Not necessarily the attacking talent, but just a very calm and strong and good and just comprehensively good midfielder who caused the U.S. tons of problems uh, when they beat the United States and I think then had to miss the next game due to injury and maybe is a reason why the U.S. were able to win that one. Who knows? But I think there's just so much talent for Canada in so many different spots um, that the United States will have to up their game and that's where we'll see that like, can the performances that we really enjoyed against Martinique be elevated to that next level against Canada? I'm really glad the conversation fell this way, Taylor, so that now I think you kind of came to a nice conclusion there, just as we're getting into central midfield, so that I can ask you who you want to see in central midfield against Canada, because darn it, I don't know, Taylor, I don't know what I want. Who do you want to see? If we're building out this 3-4-3 shape, this 3-4-2-1, whatever you want to call it, who do you want to see in that double pivot against Canada? So the question here is, is what do you do with what is likely to be uh, Eustachio, uh, Mark Anthony K, and Osorio? I apologize if I butchered the pronunciation on that first one, but we would assume it will be a midfield three for Canada. They'll be in a back three slash back five. Yeah. So three, five, two, five, three, two. 
And I, I would – I say all that because I really liked Williamson and Busio, and I think that makes a lot of sense. I worry about that mismatch. So as long as the U.S. is able to – if it's having Hoppy drop in or if it is Christian Roldan being more conservative and central defensively to start, then that numbers those numbers are balanced and I'm okay with it. If it's maybe one of the center backs stepping out as needed, I don't hate that. I don't love that either. But I think how they want to deal with that battle – dictates a lot of of who I want to see start this game. If if you're like if Berhalter asked me because he clearly would and clearly cares, right, I would right. mostly want to see this exact team that we just saw and I want to see them against Canada against a, a stronger opponent and and at basic level we know we're already through. It's are we top of the group or second? Who do we play in the next round? If we finish top and we want to make it to the final, likely we're going to end up playing Mexico at some point. So I don't think it's the worst thing in the world if we end up having to play Mexico in the next round if we finish second. So I think you can roll the dice again a little bit. I don't think Berhalter ever truly rolls the dice. I think it's a very calculated Mm -hmm. and it's the type of dice roll where he's rolling for a deliberate number and like sets the dice up to land on that exact number. I think Berhalter has that level of preparation. So I think going with the same shape, but changing it up just a little bit defensively to neutralize what Canada will want to do, but still letting the U.S. play as quickly as they can into their strengths, as confidently as they can, that's what I want to see. So all that to say, yeah, Busio and Erickson in the middle, I'm good with that, especially with Christian Roldan filling in. I find it hard to believe that we wouldn't see Sebastian Legette, though. So Mm. I I think once you add that to the equation, it gets a little bit harder to read what's going to happen. See, this is this is my confusion because it feels like we're going to see Sebastian Legette and it feels like we're going to see Callan Acosta. And part of me thinks we're going to see Jackson Ewell again and he just got naturally rotated out in this game to allow him to start again against Canada. Maybe that's my cynical, pessimistic side. But I just have no idea who you put in this pivot if you're Greg Peralta. So I think I would put... I think I'd probably go Busio and Acosta. I know we talked about how much we enjoyed Eric Williamson in this game, but I think Acosta gives you more defensive solidity, and I am slightly concerned about that against Canada. I'd keep Busio and his maybe slightly more up-tempo passing and movement relative to Jackson Ewell. I'd keep him in the one of those double pivot spots, and then I'd just toss in Acosta. That feels like something that Berhalter might actually do, and then maybe you get Legette playing one of those narrow winger roles, attacking midfield roles as part of the front three. And that would allow him to get his more veteran players, the guys, some of the guys we saw in Nations League on the field. I, I don't know. I'd love to see this pivot again that we saw in this game, but I, I'm going to go with Busio and Acosta as something that we could maybe probably potentially see against Canada. All right. What about in the attacking positions? What would you like to see there aside from Daryl DK getting an actual hat trick this time? <laughs> yeah. I want to see DK score three goals inside three minutes and I will be happy. I don't, Taylor, I, I have no idea. I think we're, if I'm rocking out with my double pivot of Acosta and Gianluca Busio, I think we will see Legette in that left-sided, narrow winger half space kind of position. And, and maybe we see Roldan on the right. Maybe we see Joe Acchini. Maybe we see Hoppy. I, I think you need someone to make those runs in behind and be a threat in the front three. And DK's kind of that way. But Legette's not, really. He's much more inclined to drop than he is to break in behind. Rodin's maybe in the middle. I think Hoppy is the one who brings m- the most verticality of anybody really on this roster, including Joaquini. Ariola would if he's healthy, and I'd love to see him if he's back. But I, I guess I'm going to go with Legette as my left-sided winger, quote-unquote, and Hoppy on the right, even though that's changing his, sh- his shape and changing his spot with DK in the middle, just because I think that might give you the best balance available. 
So I think I think like maybe this is uh, Ryan would certainly say I'm fence sitting, but uh, it's comfortable over here. But also it feels like the right place to be, which is if it's a back three for the United States and it's a lot of the same faces we saw against Martinique, I think I am fine with that, certainly. But if it's not and if it is the 4-3-3 and if it is different personnel rotated in or out – I'm also okay with that, and I don't think it has to be one or the other. I think it's about, okay, then what did we learn from these two games, and how does that play into this game? Like, if we thought Jackson Ewell was a little bit too slow on the ball, which we did, or if we thought Eric Williamson like was a little bit too slow in the dribble, do we see more of that? Do we see less of that? How do we adjust for that? If we thought the United States didn't get as many good sort of sustained possession attacks uh certainly against haiti i don't think we did how do we make that happen more like it's about what the progression is what are we learning and and so i i'm less interested in the who will be the exact starting 11 what will be the exact shape versus how are we solving problems to create larger ones for canada that is fundamentally what i care about that and daryl dk starting and james sand starting so joe lowry doesn't have to uh to cry for the opening (laughs) five or ten minutes I, I appreciate that, Taylor. That's very kind of you to think. Always of me. look out yeah. for you, buddy. There are there are a lot of different combinations that I'd be okay with, even if we see mm-hmm. Jackson Ewell or George Bello or just players I don't think have had a very good tournament and I don't think have the biggest role in the immediate future with the U.S. men's national team. That's still going to be fine with me. I'm not going to be totally angry or totally upset about whatever the lineup is. Regardless of what Baralta puts out there, the U.S. has the talent and the quality to go toe-to-toe with Canada. I think it's going to be a fun game. I really enjoy watching this Canadian team. They have that quality in midfield. They're dangerous up front. I love, and maybe this is to their detriment sometimes, but their center backs in the back three are aggressive in moving the ball forward. It's going to be a game, and I think it's going to be a fun game. It could be a little open which makes me excited. Either way, this match on Sunday is a, a pretty big one for this tournament for the United States, and I think it's going to be fun to watch, Taylor. I, I think and hope so, too. Uh, that <laughs> game will be 5 p.m. Sunday evening. Uh, we did not do a quick take or a full review last night because the game finished at midnight, and that was too late. Uh, we will do one this time. I don't know if we'll do a hot take. I lean towards yes and maybe just even shorter than the last one, but then we'll rewatch. Then we'll have a full review for you Sunday evening pending Joe's schedule. Joe, is that possible <laughs> for you? That's perfect for me, Taylor. There we go. All right. And then next week, uh, we will have the return of uh, Jordan Angeli to do some uh, U.S. Women's National Team previewing ahead of the Olympics. She's also going to be helping us out, uh, providing some coverage and analysis of those games. We're going to have listener questions return. We're still going to have U.S. men's games to talk about in the Gold Cup. Joe, the summer of soccer continues. Bring it on, baby. The summer of soccer is about the best summer I can imagine. Let's do this. All right, Joe. Well, uh, I hope you you get some rest uh, for the rest of your day and then Saturday so that you're well, well hydrated, well prepared for Sunday (laughs) evening. But for now, Joe, thank you for taking uh, plenty of time to talk about the USA's 6-1 win over Martinique. I'll be popping Gatorade shoes all day long on Sunday. Taylor, thanks for having me. (laughs) Listeners, thank you all very much for joining us and we will talk to you all again very soon. 